thank you for joining us today and welcome back to Making Sense of Money. I'm Jake Hamilton. Last episode, we talked about the basics of taxes. And now this tax season is upon us, it's definitely something that you're going to want to check out. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini, another of your co-hosts. Our taxes podcast gave an overview of some of the most common terms and questions related to taxes. If you're looking for some more information and you've already listened to that particular podcast, you can check out our recorded webinar. You can find this on the Student Money Management Center's YouTube page at IL Student Money on YouTube. And last but not least, I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks. This week, we're going to talk about college savings, something I know that many people feel probably stressed about and have questions about. In particular, we're going to focus on something called a 529 or 529 plan. In Illinois, the program is called Bright Start and Bright Directions, and it is run by the state treasurer, Michael Frerichs. So joining us today are two of the treasurer's employees that are tasked with managing the program. We're excited to have Chief Financial Product Officer Fernando Diaz and Director of College Savings John Mitchell join us today. I used to work with both Fernando and John, so it's exciting to have them here. So welcome. Let's get started and learn a little bit more about each of you and your background and how you came to this job. Fernando, let's start with you. Excellent. Well, first off, Nikki, Andrea, and Jake, thank you for having us and allowing us to share information about saving for college, something that uh, we are very passionate about at the treasurer's office. And I can kick us off by way of background. Prior to joining the treasurer's office, I spent 10 years in higher education, mainly focusing on enrollment management and student affairs initiatives, which means uh, helping families access higher education and then helping the students graduate and find jobs. One of the the most challenging items or, or questions that I had as a university administrator was helping families finance higher education. That really prompted me to pursue an MBA at Kellogg School of Management. And shortly after completing my degree, I joined the treasurer's office, really charged with restructuring the programs. And since then, uh, in 2015, uh, we've been able to make vast improvements to the 529 programs, reduce fees for investors and more importantly, help more families save for college. And uh, I'm John Mitchell. I'm the director of college savings at the Illinois State Treasurer's Office. Just want to reiterate what Fernando said. Thank you, Andrea, Jake, and thank you very much, Nikki. Great to be with you again. Thank you for having us here. As I mentioned, I'm the director of college savings. Uh, what that means is, is I lead the state's oversight of the 529 program. Uh, I work closely with our treasurer's office colleagues and vendors to design the program, set goals, assess our marketing outreach strategies, and much else. I should say, however, though, we'll get into this later, we do have an overall uh, program manager that we uh, hire to run the program. So I'm not the person picking up the phone uh, if you call, although we do sometimes get calls directly at the treasurer's office and emails and happy to always receive them. I came to this job uh, a little over a year ago uh, from the University of Chicago, where I was on staff. And previously, in my uh, other professional roles, I spent most of my career working analytics, performance improvement, project management and marketing. I first came to uh, Illinois and Chicago about 10 years ago, um, closer than I suppose 11 or 12 years now, uh, as a student uh, at the University of Chicago, graduate student uh, at the U of C, and I've made it my home uh, ever since. I should say one of the things that I should mention uh, in my time in Chicago, uh, one thing I love to do in my private life uh, is to uh, volunteer as a tax preparer, which I've done for seven or eight years now. I've 
prepared taxes for hundreds of families and individuals uh, over the past decade or so. And so personal finance, helping families save, helping families stretch their budget however they can, helping them navigate, uh, in this case, you know, the very complicated world of Illinois and federal taxes is something I take great passion in. Uh, I'm very passionate about and uh, therefore very interested in the topics that some of you all tackle here in this podcast and healthy, uh, happy to uh, you know, be on board to share a little bit more about the Five Star Program. Thank you for your volunteerism, John. Are you volunteering this tax season? I am. Uh, I'm you know, sure you all are aware, everyone, uh, this tax season and last one presented their own challenges with COVID-19. So for the first time, uh, I'm going to do a mix of in-person and uh, remote tax prep. Uh, but uh, but looking forward to help uh, maybe even more this year than in the past. I, I imagine with uh, the changing tax laws as, as well as the, the changing world of doing taxes remotely uh, presents just extra challenges. So um, yeah, lo- looking forward to it. Thank you both, uh, John and Fernando, and welcome to the podcast. But let's get into this. So we hear all the time, and especially more recently, that the cost of college is continually rising. Could you provide us with some insight into around how much college education costs these days on average? Any projections about how much it might cost in the future? Absolutely. I think it's fair to say that the cost of going to college is astronomical and only continues to increase year over year. On average, for public tuition and fees, uh, tuition fees for public universities in Illinois ranges between 11 and 16,000, as an example. For private schools, that range is wider. It's between 4,500 and 60,000. And sometimes those ranges, those uh, those costs don't include uh, other costs associated with going to college, like room and board, books, internet, computers, etc. These costs are going are, are increasing on average by eight percent on an annual basis. And so, um, for new parents or soon to be new parents, uh, we we can only guess what the cost is going to be. 10, 15, 18 years from now. I have young, younger um, nieces and nephews that I try to uh, help uh, my, my siblings with, but we can get into that a little bit later in some examples on, on how to make it easier for families to save. Um, I think uh, when, you, when you look at the total cost and increasing cost of going to school and the sources of financial aid that are available only begs the question as to how, how are families really financing uh, their college expenses. For example, this year, the maximum MAP grant award was 5340 The maximum uh, Pell grant award was $6,345. When you combine those uh, in grant aid, uh, that equals to $11,685. That is for a student that has a, an expected family contribution of zero. That's the, the number calculated via the process of of filling out the FAFSA application every year. So if financial aid or grants are a little over 11,000, but sometimes tuition is is north of that, what does that really mean? I think, you know, it it means that students and and their families are are left with uh, a gap, having to figure out how how they're gonna finance that gap. Um, And just by comparison, you know, I think it's it's important to know that in the 1970s, the Pell and the MAP grants uh, covered close to, or, or grants of this nature covered uh, about 75% of college cost. Whereas by 2014, that, that amount or that percentage dropped to 33% or, or below 33%. And so 
uh, over the years, families have been challenged on how they're going to finance that financial aid gap, right? And so, well, scholarships are great. Uh, we know that uh, not every student uh, may be eligible for some scholarships. And so that's where student loans really kind of came into the picture. And we've seen more and more families and more and more students trying to uh, fill the gap via student loans. So that, that, that I think that covers in terms of the cost and uh, the growing costs and the projections of how families are, are financing higher education. Thank you, Fernando. It's good to have that context, especially historical context, when thinking about making decisions for children going to college in 15, 20 years, right? So with these increased costs of higher education, and we know that students and families have had to really diversify their funding streams beyond savings, grants, scholarships, now student loans, sometimes current income from a salary, even from both parents and from students themselves. Can either of you speak about the research that has been done on the impact of having a college savings fund for someone actually going to college? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, Fernando spoke about some of the ways in which uh, increasingly families are having to turn towards loans to cover these large gaps between uh, what college costs and, and what are the available scholarships and grants out there, even if your family has relatively limited resources. The problem with student loans is that they're expensive. Uh, they're much more expensive than many families or individuals might first realize. For example, $1,000 in student loans is more expensive than $1,000 in savings. The best rate you can currently get uh, from the federal government for a federal student loan is 4.45%. And typically folks pay that out over 10 years or pay it back over 10 years. So if today I went to the federal government and borrowed $1,000 in student loans, over the course of 10 years with interest, I'd actually pay 1,250, or essentially I pay back my $1,000 student loan plus $250 in interest. In contrast, if you were to aim to save $1,000 over 10 years with the benefit of compound interest, you actually pay only 800 to raise $1,000. In other words, if I took $6.61 every month and put it in an investment account paying back 5% return, uh, I'd have $1,000 at the end of 80 years. I actually put in a total of $800 and I get about $200 in investment returns. So on the one hand, I can save $800 and get $1,000. On the other hand, I can borrow $1,000 and actually pay $1,250. So look at this way, student loans are almost 50% more expensive than savings. So getting back to your original question, what are some of the benefits of having a 529 account? Uh, the benefit essentially is that savings are incredibly beneficial and less expensive than student loans. But even beyond that, there's some research uh, out of the Center for Social Development at Washington University in St. Louis, just across the Mississippi border, that those children that know they have a college savings fund are three times more likely to attend college. And especially if they're an underrepresented minority, they're actually seven times more likely to attend college. It's a little unclear why this might be, but we believe that the sheer fact of having a college savings fund, even if it's a small amount, I should say in this research, these are small amounts of money that kids know they have parked away for them at college, uh, that that reassuring message of, I believe in you, your college material, you're going to college, I'm putting some of my hard-earned money away to save for it, has a real impact on a child's mental goals and sense that they too are college material and they're going to go to college. This is why uh, Treasurer Ferricks, for example, 
who is a bright star investor who's saving for his daughter for college every quarter when he gets his quarterly statement, he sits down and says, hey, let's take a look at how much money I've saved. Let's talk about this. And that's a general recommendation that we have for all parents. I have a follow-up question to that, John. So I know that the How America Pays for College study by Sally May always asks how many families actually talk about the plan for college. And I believe the amount of families surveyed that had a plan for how to pay for the 2019-2020 school year was only 52%. Do you think that that would be higher in populations where there is a 529 or Bright Start uh, savings plan in place for the college-going child? I'll, I'll say two things. Uh, first, this is absolutely one of the reasons. It is our number one goal to make college savings reality for every family in the state of Illinois. Last year, for those children that were 18, left high school and then made a decision afterward about what they're gonna do next, almost 80% of those children within a year pursued some form of higher education, be it a two-year, four-year technical school, et cetera. So college remains not for everyone, but generally speaking, in today's society, most of our own children today are themselves choosing to go to college. It's not just that we're saying, hey, you should go to college. They're actually themselves choosing to do it. So given everything we just said about loans, the cost of college, the benefits of saving, we therefore are saying we want to make sure saving is possible for every Illinois family. This is one of the big reasons why we're, say, coming to this great podcast to get our word out. But on top of that, one thing that the Treasurer's Office passed with the help of the General Assembly and Governor Pritzker in 2019 is the Illinois Higher Education Savings Act. This will implement uh, eventually a college savings account uh, program in Illinois. Uh, college savings account program is a program whereby the state of Illinois for every child born or adopted in the state will provide access to a 529 account with a $50 C deposit for, again, any child born or adopted in Illinois. And we see this as a way to sort of kickstart exactly that conversation as you were referring to, Andrea. How do we make college savings a reality from the get-go and provide a little seed money to help families start on that journey from the minute a child is born, which ideally is when you really should start saving, even if just a little bit at a time. That's a great learning opportunity too for families that are just starting out. They're taking advantage of the resources that you have to offer. That's excellent. I'm very excited personally as an educator. <laughs> so we kind of keep throwing around this 529 plan, you know, that, that language. So can you guys give us an overview? What, what is a 529 plan? That's a great question, uh, uh, Nikki, and, and one we get all the time. A 529 account uh, is essentially a college savings account. It's called a 529 account before Section 529 of the IRS code. In 1996, Congress passed a law that said, if you wish to save for college, we will provide you a tax-preferred savings option to do it. And in Section 529 of the IRS code, they lay out the tax benefits for investing for college with this specific uh, vehicle. 529 plans have to be sponsored by states. So all 529 plans uh, in the U.S., and they are offered by 49 states and the District of Columbia, are sponsored by a state. We'll get into this later, but our state sponsors two programs through the state treasurer, who serves as administra administrator and fiduciary of the two plans. Uh, they are Bright Start and Bright Directions. Perfect. Thank you, John. And you mentioned tax preferred plans and that there are tax benefits to a 529 plan. Could you guys speak about what exactly those are? Absolutely. 
there are two big benefits, uh, tax benefits that families should know about. First, there's a benefit for investing. So that is contributing to the account. So let's say, for example, I have $1,000 I want to save from my child's college. If I put that into a 529 account, I can take that $1,000 as a deduction on my Illinois state income taxes. But the benefits don't stop there. If, let's say, my child's born today, I put $1,000 in a 529 account, and I take a $1,000 deduction off my Illinois state income taxes, I leave the money in the account. Let's say, for sake of argument, no guarantee, but for sake of argument, let's say that money grows to $2,000 by the time my child's 18, which is a reasonable assumption. I now have the initial $1,000 I put in, and I have $1,000 in earnings. I don't owe any taxes on that $1,000 in earnings, neither to the state of Illinois nor to the federal government. That is tax-free $1,000 earnings, so long as I use it for a qualified educational expense, things like tuition, room and board, et cetera. And we'll talk more about that later as well. And as our listeners know from last episode, a deduction lowers your adjusted gross income. There's actually um, a a really good uh, rich history on 529 plans, just add a little... Uh, to what John shared. Um, 529s were really born in the 1980s, even though the the section 529 uh, of the IRS code um, wasn't implemented or or modified in 1996. These plans were actually born in the 80s. And really, it it was a response by states to really address the rising cost of of tuition, the, the rising cost of college expenses, as we've been discussing. And a couple of states, particularly Florida and and Michigan, launched what were called qualified tuition plans. It was sort of the original name of these plans. The way those plans work, parents were able to buy college tuition at today's prices for tomorrow. Today, those, those plans, those specific 529 plans are called prepaid plans. And there is a distinction in Illinois. We do have, uh, there is a, a prepaid plan uh, called College Illinois. Some, some parents may still have a College Illinois account, but my understanding is that Parents are not allowed to buy contracts or tuitions in that program any longer. But it's a key, key distinction because I think many folks confuse Bright Start and College Illinois, and there is a key distinction. But back to the history lesson, Florida and Michigan launched these plans to try to address this uh, sort of rising cost of tuition. Well, the federal government sued Michigan, and there was a legal battle that, that really led to many years of back and forth and dispute on whether states had the authority to administer these programs. Uh, Michigan came up on the winning side and, and that's what really prompted the law to be changed in 1996 and section 529 to be added to the IRS code. I love this history lesson, Fernando. <laughs> and I just know from working in the treasurer's office, I, I often remember how many times we had to, to distinguish between no, we're Bright Start. College Illinois is different. You have to call this agency for that. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely remember that. But so tell us now that we kind of understand what a 529 plan is, tell, why should someone save for college with a 529 plan? Why not just a regular savings account? Excellent, excellent question, Nikki. Undoubtedly, there, there's many ways to save for college, save for retirement, save for other, other purposes in life. At the treasurer's office, we believe that a 529 plan provides the optimal vehicle to save for college. And, and let me point to a couple of other uh, reasons why, beyond what John shared in terms of the tax benefits. We have the tax deduction, we have the uh, tax-free growth as long as uh, funds are used for college expenses. 
five to nine plans like Brightstar allow a wide variety of, of options to, to save for money. For example, the, the way that five to nine work, anyone can open an account for any individual as long as they have the information uh, available, right? Uh, but more importantly, it provides flexibility for multiple people to save. For for example, let's say I, I have a Brightstart account for my kids. I'm able to share account information or gifting uh, information for my friends and family so they can also contribute. So what that means is that the account owner of a Brightstart account isn't necessarily the only person or individual that can save for future college expenses. So there's that flexibility. Additionally, there are, unlike a, a savings account, most 529 plans are, are investment vehicles. And so you're able to put your money to work. You have um, the time value of money, right? And so you're, gonna, you're able to invest your money and really grow. Whereas if monies are sitting in a, um, say, checkings or savings account, you, you really get sort of minimal exposure to the market. And there are other types of savings vehicles for college, for example, Coverdell accounts, which can be beneficial. However, there are some restrictions. There are contribution limits on how much you can put, put away. And then there's also some flexibility or, or some, sorry, some limitations on what kinds of expenses you can use your money in, in these other types of accounts. So we have some wonderful information on our website in terms of comparing a five to nine plan to some of these other uh, savings vehicles. And again, I think five to nine plans really offer the optimal benefits uh, when it comes to tax benefits, ways to contribute, and lastly, how you can use your funds. And just one thing I'll just, so our, our listeners really understand the point is, is also, as John had mentioned, that return, you know, your, your money will grow more in a five to nine plan than just putting money away into a savings account is the lesson, the short, everything like in, in one sentence, that's what I would say. Absolutely. And you can, um, you, you can really see sort of uh, the impact from a 529 account versus an account where you have to pay taxes. I mean, the growth just on, on, on saving on taxes is pretty substantial. And so you can, you can really put your money to work, save on taxes, uh, that way you, you're, you're maximizing these benefits and, and really using that money for actual college expenses versus other, other types of costs. Yeah, that's all great. I mean, those sound like some, some really good benefits to the 529 plans. We've mentioned that in Illinois, the 529 plans are called Bright Start and Bright, or Bright Directions. Could you guys talk about what the difference between the two programs are? Absolutely. I mentioned a few minutes ago that there's a difference between a what's called a prepaid, a 529 prepaid plan like College Illinois and a 529 college savings plan like Bright Start and Bright Direction. So there's that sort of distinction between the two types of 529 plans. But within 529 college savings plans, there's a, another sort of distinction between two types of plans within that category. And that's the direct sold plan and the advisor sold plan. Bright Start is a direct sold plan and Bright Directions is an advisor sold plan. What does that mean? A direct sold plan like Bright Start allows families and parents to directly open an account on our website versus Bright Directions, which is an advisor sold plan, allows families who are already working with a financial advisor 
or would prefer to seek guidance from a financial advisor to open an account. And so we've had both a direct and advisor sold plan for over 15 years. I think it, it really boils down to personal preference, whether I want to be overseeing the investments and, and looking after my account, or I want to be able to work with, with a financial advisor. And happy to share that Illinois has offered some pretty spectacular plans, but we can get into that in a few minutes. Do you guys know how many people buy the direct plan versus how many people buy the advisor sold plan? I can, I can toss this question over to John uh, in, in just a second, but what I will share before we start getting into the investment, and I think Nikki knows where I'm going to go with this, I, I do want to share that any information we provide today should not be considered financial advice. We'll also a reminder to our listeners that uh, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Um, and so you should always read the fine disclosure language that we make readily available on our website. But I think broadly speaking, and John, feel free to chime in on, on more uh, specifics. We have over 730,000 accounts between Bright Start and Bright Directions currently. That's not uh, looking at accounts previously. Obviously, people have used these accounts over the years to pay for college expenses. It's almost an even split between Bright Start and Bright Directions. There's been some years where Bright Directions sort of grow at a, at a, at a steadier pace. Over the last, I want to say maybe five-ish years, we've seen a, a, a stronger increase or a quicker increase on the direct sold plants, not just in Illinois, but across the country. So which one is direct sold and which one's advisor sold again? The direct sold is Bright Start and the advisor plan is Bright Directions. Okay, thank you. John, did you have any additional details you want to share there? No, it's good. So what type of investment options are there for Bright Start or Bright Directions? Yes, we're, we're, we're getting down to the, the nuts and bolts of these plants. What, what do the investments look like? Before answering this question, I think it, it's important to maybe um, provide a little bit of context. So 529 plans work very similarly to deferred compensation plans. Uh, more specifically, they work more, more closely like Roth IRA plans where it's post-tax money that's invested into, into these investments, into these plans. And with that comes different types of investment options. I hope our listeners have a, some sort of a retirement plan that they're, that they're working with. And if you're familiar with deferred compensation plans, these retirement plans have what's called target date funds. In 529 plans, we have something very similar. They just, they're just named different and they're called age-based options. The way that age-based options work is that when the child is younger, the investments are focused more on, on stocks, on mutual funds that, that are invested more on stocks, taking a little bit more risk when the child is younger. And as they get closer to college age, it slides from heavier weight on stocks to heavier weight on fixed income or bonds, right? To, in an effort to try to protect the investment. We, we find that this is a, a, an excellent uh, way to uh, sort of set and forget your investment selections. You don't have to worry about rebalancing your portfolio. We've seen that it's a way that works for retirement. We've incorporated some of those lessons into these age-based options. I should also say that these 529 plans, for the most part, utilize mutual funds 
as the investment vehicles. And while we may have some favorite uh, companies we like, we, we may like to personally invest on, our participants are not investing directly in these companies. They're investing in mutual funds who then invest in some of these, these companies, right? And so I think it's important to, to note that. It's also important to note that investors, Bright Start or Bright Directions account owners can select their investment option and they can make two changes, two investment changes per year. If someone prefers not to utilize an age-based option, there's other options. Another option that was sort of borrowed from the retirement space are are target or static portfolios. These static portfolios uh, could be, for example, uh, concentrated 100% on equities or stocks or 100% on on fixed income or bonds, or they can be split 50-50% amongst, again, uh, stocks or bonds. Uh, but the key here is that their static portfolios, they don't change like age-based portfolios. Age-based portfolios changes as the child gets older, where static portfolios are fixed. And then beyond that, in Bright Start and Bright Directions, we offer individual fund options. This is for may- maybe more sophisticated investors who are uh, interested in customizing their investment allocation. We work with some of the the high quality funds like Vanguard and T. Rowe Price. And so there's that option. A good feature that we have both for uh, our Bright Start and Bright Directions investors is that we have an investment questionnaire that allows parents to really determine what kind of investor they are and what kind of risk they, they may be willing to take. And so that's a nice tool that we have available. If someone's working with a financial advisor, obviously Bright Directions is there to help with perhaps more options. And so as a result, we do have more options available on the Bright Directions program versus the direct sold program, Bright Start. So just a quick follow-up for people who are probably like, I don't want to pay for a financial advisor, but I want to start my own Bright Start account. When they open it up, I mean, I've seen the website where you guys, they, they could just pick which option they want correct so like it's not like then they have to sit there and figure out if they're going to do the age-based program let's say then they don't have to figure out how to automatically adjust according to age like that's something that the program does for them correct like they don't have to keep going in and changing you know I don't want to say self-explanatory because all of this is confusing for people but like it is possible to do this by yourself on the Bright Start program absolutely Absolutely. I think uh, the age-based options uh, are a great way to sort of set and forget your investment. We can also talk about how you make a contribution shortly, but what I can, well, I can give financial advice. What what I can share is that we have a good number of families utilizing the age-based option. In fact, when you go through the enrollment process on Bright Start, you'll see that the the key distinction between age-based, the static, and then It'll ask you a question if you want to, to look at all the investment options. If you're a more sophisticated investor, you can look at all the investment options in case you want to go beyond that age-based option. I have to yeah, say, my- I feel like the Bright Start website is very user-friendly, I must say. Maybe I'm biased because I used to work there, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> I think I think that's an objective opinion there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for making it easier. Yeah. Can you guys give us some examples of how much your money can grow in a Bright Start account? Of course, 
with the the disclaimer that that doesn't guarantee that that's how that will work because we don't control you know the stock market and things like that but on average like how can you give us just some examples on on how your money grows yeah nikki absolutely so as fernando mentioned you know by investing in bright start depending on your preferences uh you invest generally speaking in in a mix of, of equities that is to say uh you know mutual funds and bonds Again, depends on exactly your preferences, depends on your risk tolerance, depends on the age of your child, depends on a lot of different things. But generally speaking, uh, the investments embrace a sort of well-diversified portfolio of domestic and international stocks plus domestic and international bonds. Um, So the idea behind this investment strategy is predicated on the idea that the stock market, although it goes up and down, over time, it does provide a positive return. For example, according to Goldman Sachs, in any given 10-year period over the last 140 years, uh, the average returns have been 9.2%. Now, you think about the last 140 years, there have been big ups and big downs. The last 140 years, for example, included the Great Depression. Uh, it included the financial crisis. So there are certainly periods where stocks can go down. But there are other periods, like last year, where the stock market returned, well, the S&P 500 returned approximately 16%. The year before that, it was even higher. Uh, So there are certainly years of high ups, low lows, and in between. But over time, the idea is that your money will grow, uh, is not the guarantee, but but that is the idea. And so the benefit of investing with Bright Star or Bright Directions is that you're not just putting in the cash that you're contributing, but that this cash is growing and compounding over time in a tax-free manner. So as some examples, if you were to open an account with an initial investment of $2,500 and saved an additional $50 per month, at the end, after 18 years, when your child's ready to go to college, you'd have $30,000, a little bit more than $30,000 saved. If you invested $2,500 and saved $100 a month, you'd have $52,000 at the end of 18 years. And it goes up from there. These calculations, I should say, assume that you are making monthly deposits and assume a 7% average annual return over the course of that 18 years. Thank you, John. And and one one, uh, key item that um, I think is helpful for our listeners who become Bright Start or Bright Directions owners is that they can always log into their accounts and monitor their investment uh, performance, but also they can go on the Bright Start and Bright Directions website to gain a sense of what are these investment options are returning on an annualized basis, year-to-date basis, or on a three-year basis. So there's we, we have some information on past performance, but just a reminder, past performance is no in, in, <laughs> indicative of uh, future performance. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the money that grows in a Bright Start account can be used for tuition. Can it be used for any other type of educational expenses? Yes, Jake. Uh, there's a, a whole variety of expenses. In fact, all the major ones associated with higher education can be covered by your Bright Start savings. And I should say, you can use your Bright Start savings not just at a four-year school like the University of Illinois, although you can use it at the University of Illinois, uh, but also at a whole variety of four-year public and private schools, two-year schools, uh, as well as a whole variety of trade and technical programs. So the types of expenses you can cover at that wide variety of programs include tuition, as you mentioned, Jake, but also room and board. This includes both on-campus room and board, but also off-campus, at least off-campus rent, so long as that rent is the same or less 
than uh, the on-campus room and board. Uh, you also can use it for some of the major expenses we're all familiar with, like, say, a computer, internet for that computer, books, uh, supplies uh, related to, you know, your college education, like lab equipment, that kind of thing. Uh, and also, finally, if you're a special needs uh, individual, you can also cover your expenses related uh, to your, your special needs. Thank you, John. And thank you for the shout out to University of Illinois. Uh, as an alumnus of University of Illinois, I really appreciate it, that. But I graduated from a community college and I'm a big advocate for technical schools. So any option for post-secondary education, I'm a big advocate for. I also want to know, are there any type of fixed contributions that have to be put into the Bright Start account each month or like a minimum monthly deposit amount? Absolutely. I'm happy to take that question. Before I dive into to that question, Andrea, one additional item I'd like to, uh, to add to the previous question is that Bright Start and, and, and Bright Directions funds don't necessarily need to be used for degree-seeking programs. You can also utilize them for other types of programs. There's a, a funny story um, that we, we caught when a few years back where a grandparent was saving money for a grandchild. Grandchild decided not to go to school. The grandparent took the money, uh, used it for, for himself and his wife, and instead utilized it for some scuba diving lessons. We don't recommend Bright Start monies to be utilized for, for scuba diving lessons, but there's a flexibility as long as the scuba diving lessons are, are utilized at an accredited and uh, institution that, that qualifies uh, under, under Section 529. I just wanted to say that it kind of future proofs your savings plan because I'm, I'm part of higher ed and I know that higher ed is looking at changing over the next 20 years. The nature of how we approach education as a society is probably going to change. So including that flexibility in your savings plan is really amazing. Absolutely, Andrea. Uh, in terms of contributions, uh, one of the nice features provided by 529 is that it affords some flexibility there. There is no minimum requirement, first off, to open an account. So no minimum contribution uh, requirement and no minimum subsequent or ongoing contribution amount that's required to keep uh, a Bright Start account open. What that means is parents and grandparents have flexibility to contribute as uh, they like, as they're able to. It also, there's a flexibility to contribute by numerous members of the family, friends. So for example, one of the things that I do during birthdays and the holidays for my younger nieces and nephews, I, I instead of uh, buying them the, the latest toy or the latest tech gadgets, I write a check for their Bright Start account. Now that doesn't make me the fun uncle, but I like to believe that once they go to college, uh, we'll have much to talk about. And I think they'll, they'll appreciate that. So, uh, and there, there's some flexibility in how those contributions uh, are made. Uh, contributions can be made uh, via check or they can be made electronically. We have a very helpful gifting platform that makes it easy for us to share account information without necessarily oversharing account information with friends and family. Uh, we utilize that quite often, again, for special occasions like graduations, birthdays, and the holidays. What I will say is we, we do encourage parents to set an automatic 
contribution amount going back to sort of behavioral finance and making it easy for families to put a little bit of money away that way we don't see or we don't have to think about it and and just makes it easier for us to ultimately put some money away for college. Especially right now with the way that the pandemic is going for a lot of families, having the variety of options for contributions, either from family members or just a one time, especially right now, if like you get a stimulus check and you wanna make sure to put some seed money in for your child, but you don't know what next month is gonna look like. And even before the pandemic, income volatility for Americans has been just kind of everywhere, right? You might have $300 extra one month, and then you might be down $500 the next month, really depending on what industry you work in or if you have to have multiple jobs. So I, I think from an advocate for people of lower socioeconomic status, that is a real benefit of this plan. I feel like a salesperson a little bit, but it's not even my thing to sell. I really appreciate uh, how you guys are framing this. So, no, thank you. Um, one additional point I'll make is during tax season, we encourage individuals to designate a portion of their tax return towards their Bright Start account. We we have some some excellent information on our website that allows them to figure out how to designate a portion of their tax return for for Bright Start. So, Fernando, you touched on this a little bit. So maybe you and John can can kind of, as somebody who is expecting a child very soon, I I do have a vested interest in this question. <laughs> so I I know that I will be opening up my five two nine plan for my own child. Is it better do for grandparents to open up a separate five two nine plan? Is it easier to do the gifting? Um, does it really matter either way like how does that work if if one child ends up having having different 529 plans so there is no requirement for the account owner to be related to the beneficiary so the account owner owns the account opens the account directs the investment selection the beneficiary is usually the child although it doesn't necessarily have to be the child and we can we can walk through the requirements of opening an account shortly. We do see that most account owners are parents, but we also see a good proportion of grandparents opening an account. I think it boils down to preference uh, between whether someone wants to really direct the investment and direct how the, the account is, is set up. And we, we see that sometimes parents and grandparents contribute to sort of each other's accounts. So there's that contribution flexibility. But again, no requirement for a parent necessarily to be the account owner. Now, there are some FAFSA considerations between who owns the account. Now, historically, and I say historically because there are some ongoing changes on how 529 assets are calculated within the FAFSA application. Historically, from a financial aid perspective, it, it was more beneficial for the parent to own the account because when a grandparent owned an account, any withdrawals taken to pay for uh, grandkids' college expenses was treated as income. So when you're preparing your financial aid on year one, your grandparents' assets don't show up in the FAFSA calculation. During that year, you withdraw money from the grandparent account 
right? On year two, when you're filling out your FAFSA, that withdrawal shows up as income. And so now it's classified at a higher rate. So then for year two, your FAFSA or your financial aid is perhaps uh, hit harder by that FAFSA. So I, we've seen families utilize these accounts or multiple Bright Star accounts in various ways. Sometimes families wait to the, till the senior year to utilize grandparent Bright Star monies to pay for school because they don't have to worry about that subsequent year for financial aid calculations. But John, there are some changes underway on the federal side in terms of how 529 assets are calculated. Can you share some of those? Sure, yeah. The most recent stimulus act that was passed in uh, December 2020 brought with it a whole series of things that were not at all related to stimulating the economy, including some changes to the FAFSA, the Federal Application for Federal Student Aid, excuse me, Financial Student Aid, excuse me. Among the changes to FAFSA were a couple of things that might actually touch on this conversation. So first, uh, that legislation asked, required, mandated that the Department of Education change the FAFSA to make it such that all 529 assets, in fact, any family savings, not just 529 assets, for any families that make $75,000 or less would not be considered for Pell Grant consideration. That's the main grant that the federal government provides low-income students. So if you make, as a family, $75,000 or less, you need not worry what your savings are. They will have no impact on your Pell Grant consideration. Furthermore, there were some changes that are, are going to simplify the FAFSA. Right now, the FAFSA is very complicated to fill out, and they're going to reform the FAFSA such that only those things that are on your tax return uh, will be asked about in the FAFSA. Because your grandparents' 529 is not on your tax return, it stands to reason that your grandparents' assets will no longer be considered in your FAFSA, but that remains to be seen, and at the earliest, we'd see that in 2023. Got it. Thank you, John. Uh, and I wanted to ask too, can a student use their Bright Start account for any college they want? I know it's an Illinois-run program. Does it only apply to colleges here in Illinois? You know, if that student wants to go see the world their junior year, can they use it for a study abroad program as well or things like that? Great question, Jake. We get that question all the time. A Bright Start and Bright Directions, the state of Illinois does not itself select what colleges are and are not eligible, but rather the federal government, the Department of Education, they decide. Uh, specifically any school, this includes technical uh, and trade programs, two-year schools, four-year schools that can participate in the FAFSA program. If you fill out a FAFSA and you can apply your student loans, your student grants at that school, you can also use your Bright Start and Bright Directions account uh, at that school. And I should say, this is the vast majority of two, four-year technical and trade programs in the country. Just about any school that you can think of in Illinois all the big ones, for example, like the University of Illinois or UIC or Northwestern, many of the smaller ones, say uh, Bradley, well, I should say Bradley's a decently sized school, but Bradley, Loyola, et cetera, et cetera, these are all Millican. These are all schools at which uh, you can use your Bright Start and Bright Directions funds, but it's not just in Illinois. It's across the country. It's also abroad uh, for that matter. And so there are many, many people don't know this, but there are many schools abroad that also participate in FAFSA at which you could receive uh, federal grants and loans. This includes schools all throughout Canada, Mexico, Britain, Belgium, Australia, the list goes on and on. So to answer your question, Jake, if you want to study abroad, I certainly encourage any student that can take advantage of the opportunity to do so. Generally speaking, like when I studied abroad, say, you know, I was still enrolled at my university and paying tuition at my university. It's just that I spent a year in my case in France. Now, in that case, 
my 529 funds are still being used toward university, not some new university abroad. So the vast majority of sort of financial aid arrangements for study abroad, yes, it would apply. I should also say, if you are a rare case that somehow leaves your school, you're no longer officially enrolled at your school, but rather you're going to, say, Sciences Po in Paris, as I mentioned, there are hundreds, thousands of schools abroad that are also covered by and are applicable for a Bright Start and Bright Directions funds. That's excellent to know. And, you know, I might ask a quick follow-up on that. I know sometimes students may participate in it. Like for myself, my example, I did like a month-long trip to Germany over the summer. I'm guessing you wouldn't be able to use those funds if it's through like a private entity, which is what I went through. I couldn't speculate on that uh, on different private entities. What I could say, though, is uh, we certainly welcome all uh, families that are interested in this that want to look up which entities, schools, programs, et cetera, may or may not be eligible uh, to look up either. I should say you can access the information on brightstar.com, which is a link to the Department of Education's website where you can very easily uh, search what schools might be applicable. And, and Jake, it might be that your particular entity may be one of those. Maybe they participate in FAFSA. If that's the case, you'd see it on the Department of Education's website. And again, there's a link at brightstar.com. Perfect. So Brightstar accounts or Bright Directions accounts, are they only for undergraduate students? What about graduate or PhD students, or even if you know your dream is to go to law school, um, can you apply it for continuing education that way? Yeah, no, Bright Start can be utilized for, for technical education, non-degree seeking programs, trade school, two-year community colleges, four-year public and private universities, but also for graduate programs and, and be professional school, whether it's law school, a business program, a PhD, medical school, or other programs, again, that may not necessarily be degree seeking, but are for professional or continued education. So what you're saying, Fernando, is I should have started a 529 plan for myself for my PhD I'm currently in five years ago. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's not too late to start saving. I mean, (laughs) luckily, I have... um, other funding options, as long as I'm employed through the University of Illinois, but that was a good backup plan I should have started thinking about earlier, but I appreciate having that knowledge now. So do you need to be an Illinois resident in order to open up a Bright Start account? There is no Illinois residency requirement to open a Bright Start account. I should, I should add that many, not most, but we do have a good number of account owners across the country. Some of these account owners maybe lived in Illinois at some point. Others have just learned how um, great our program is, I may add, and, and so have uh, utilized Bright Start as, as the investment vehicle. I think it's also important to note some of the, the requirements to open an account. And, and there are three sort of broad requirements to open up a Bright Start account. Number one, an account owner needs to be 18 years old at a minimum they need to have a social security number or an ITIN number, meaning that they can be citizens, they can be legal residents, or uh, since 2011, undocumented families can also benefit from saving through Bright Start. So Uh, just for our listeners who may not know what an ITIN number is, it's an individual tax identification number that you would use for, usually if you open any type of financial account, like your bank or credit union may help you apply for it, or when you're filing taxes. Absolutely. 
And then the third requirement is a physical address within the United States. Cannot be a PO, PO box. It is a requirement. There's some federal regulations that require this physical address. And, and that's for the account owner. I will add for a beneficiary, similar requirements, except that a beneficiary could be of any age. One great example is for soon-to-be parents, they can open up a Bright Start account under their name, and once the baby is born, they can roll over the account to the newborn baby's name once the, the Social Security card comes in. I remember a, a few years ago during Thanksgiving, three of my siblings were expecting. What I did was I sat them down during Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving dinner, and I opened up their Bright Start account, each in their name. And once the babies were born, got that information transferred to, to uh, my nieces and nephews. Very thoughtful of you, especially to do right before Thanksgiving dinner. It's a stressful time to do estate planning, <laughs> financial planning. <laughs> Maybe that's, that could be a topic for uh, one of your future episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. I already have a bunch of planned uh, questions to ask you. Okay. So what if a student beneficiary ends up with a scholarship or decides not to pursue higher education at all, which I think you kind of addressed, but what about the scholarship piece? Yeah, good, good question. So I think one important thing to point out here is that all contributions into a Bright Start account are post-tax. So I, I want to highlight that because it's important on, on what happens if a, the student doesn't go to college, or B, they get a scholarship. And so if they get a scholarship, monies from a Bright Start account can be withdrawn all the way up to the, the total amount or lesser of the scholarship amount. They can withdraw it and not be charged the 10% penalty tax for what's considered non-qualified withdrawals. So any non-qualified withdrawal say an emergency comes up and I need to fix my car, I can pull money from my Bright Start account. However, the earnings, only the earnings portion is going to be taxed at the 10% rate that I had indicated. And that's why it's important to distinguish that monies contributed are post-tax. It's really the earnings that get penalized if we need to dip into our Bright Start account for emergency purposes. If the student does not go to school, I always like to advise parents, just give them a little bit of time. Maybe they'll go to the school at a future date, maybe not for a four-year undergraduate degree, maybe for a technical program or a, a non-degree-seeking pr program. But there's also some flexibility in, on, on uh, how that money can be used. It can be rolled over to a relative, usually a brother or sister. It can be utilized for our own personal uh, educational expenses if we take on uh, additional professional development. It can be rolled over to any relative all the way up to a first cousin. So there's some flexibility on how the money gets used. Ultimately, if the money is withdrawn and not utilized for college expenses, again, just a reminder, only the earnings portion gets taxed at 10%. Thank you. Uh, so I know that the Treasurer's Bright Start, Bright Directions plan is very highly rated in the country. In fact, it's a gold star rated program by Morningstar for several years now, I believe. And I know that's something that the treasurer's office is extremely proud of. So can you talk a little bit about what that rating means and what does it mean for consumers? 
Uh, you believe correctly, uh, Nikki. Thank you for uh, highlighting that. The first, uh, what, what is Morningstar? Uh, you said uh, the, the program is rated highly by Morningstar. What is Morningstar? For listeners that might be unfamiliar, although I should say it is a Chicago-based company. Morningstar performs research and recommendations on a whole range of investment products. Their research and recommendations are likely the most recognized in the industry. For example, if you say we're to go to Fidelity and check out, hey, I want to look at the Vanguard S&P 500 index. I want to know what it costs. I want to know what the returns have been over time, et cetera. Almost invariably, you're going to see, along with that other information, what is the Morningstar rating of this particular investment. And Morningstar gives their investments, no matter what time investment it is, they give them metal rating. So gold being the highest, silver, bronze, and then finally not rated. Last year, uh, Morningstar evaluated 61 529 plans around the country. And for each plan, they evaluate people, price, process, and parent, which is to say, people, what investment options are available to you? If you choose this 529, what do they offer you to invest in? Price, how much those investment options cost? So not just what's available to you, but how much does it cost? Plus, what does the state and the program manager charge you to use the program? A process, how are those decisions made? So how regularly and rigorously do you seek to make improvements in the plan? And finally, parents. So that's us, essentially, the state treasurer's office. How effective is the state treasurer's office or whoever administers that state's 529 plan at providing oversight and seeking improvements to the plan? On these four pillars, Bright Start has scored very high the last four years. It's received Morningstar's gold rating the last four years. Bright Start's one of only two plans in the country to receive a gold star rating the past four years in a row. And this most recent year in 2020, as I mentioned, Morningstar evaluated 61 plans, only three of which received gold. And Illinois was very proud to once again be one of them. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. So to people listening, this may all sound really complicated, but, but realistically, how difficult is it to set up a Brightstart account? Great question, Jake. Again, one we get all the time. We like to think that setting up a Brightstart account is really quite simple, or at least no more complicated than setting up uh, other investment accounts with which your listeners might be familiar with, say a savings account, a checking account, a 401k account, a brokerage account. There's nothing terribly special about a Bright Start account. The process online takes about 20 minutes, whereby you provide standard information, who you are, who you're saving for, what type of investment option you would like, how, to con how you can be contacted, et cetera. So as I say, about 20 minutes online, you can also do it buy a paper uh, if you wish. And as far as when you should start and how much, we would say start as soon as you can. As we've already talked about in this podcast, you can start before your child's born. You can also help others start by creating a 529 account for or contributing to the 529 account of your sister, brother, your niece, your nephew, your friend, your neighbor, uh, doesn't matter. And as far as how much you should save, uh, we would say even a small amount can really go a long way. As I described up front, a lot of people think, boy, you know, college costs twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year. I can't save that kind of money. And that's a very reasonable thing to say. Most families will not be able to save for the full price of college. That's the reality. However, the flip side of that reality is that most students, therefore, will take student loans. The average student last year graduated with approximately $30,000 in student loans. Even if you can chip away a little bit at those loans by saving before the student goes to college, you're providing the student with huge benefits. As I mentioned, 
for $1,000. Saving $1,000 over the course of 10 years requires you to save around $800, and with compound interest, you'll arrive at $1,000. Paying off $1,000 of loans costs you around $1,250, $1,250. So even just saving a little bit, even if you say in over 10 years, all I can do is save $6.61 a month so I can eventually hopefully give my child $1,000, you're still saving your child at a minimum the $250 extra they would have paid on the student loans. That's a really good point, John. And I think today, especially the cost of college can be daunting for a lot of people. So even just having that little bit that can make that load a little bit more bearable, as you said in some of your research earlier, may make it that much more likely that student or a young person chooses to attend college or a trade school or a community college or, or something like that. Absolutely. Some of the numbers that you mentioned as far as savings also don't include opportunity costs. So as we've been going through all the content that you guys have been sharing, I'm thinking of terms we probably need to cover in future podcast episodes to shed some more light on that, like time value of money or mutual funds so that we can get everyone kind of up to speed. So when they re-listen to this, when they're sitting down to think about their child's future, and thinking about 529 plans, they'll have a better idea of what some of these things mean. So are there any types of fees associated with Bright Start or Bright Directions accounts? Uh, yes, although I should say uh, Bright Start uh, has among the lowest fees in the country. Uh, Bright Directions, among advisor-sold plans, is also one of the most affordable advisor-sold plans uh, in the country. And why is that? Uh, because there's essentially the fees are limited to fees on the investments themselves. So there's no fee for opening the account. There's no account maintenance fee, but rather you pay a fee on the investment itself. So for example, let's say you put in $100. You and you invest that. If, for example, you invested in age-based index portfolios, you would pay 0.115% fee on your assets each year. That includes the fee on whatever you're choosing to invest in. For example, the Vanguard S&P 500 index, plus a fee charged in this case by the program manager. That's the fee for essentially managing the entire program, managing your account, providing you account statements, online access, et cetera, et cetera. So how much does 0.115% add up to? Well, if you invested $1,000, you'd pay $1.20 a year. If you invest $100, you'd pay 12 cents a year. So these fees are among some of the lowest fees in the 529 industry. And even for a comparable retirement program or something like that, it's, it's a very affordable program. Always good to know those hidden costs, right? But it's nice to know that these are, these are low. So I know that one of the big goals at the treasurer's office is to expand outreach regarding um, Right Start and Bright Directions, particularly into minority communities. So can you talk a little bit about your efforts there and why, why is this so important to the treasurer's office? It's a great question, Nikki, and thank you for highlighting that. That is, if you look at our goals uh, last year, you look at our goals this year, uh, it is among our top goals uh, to enhance the economic, uh, racial, ethnic, and geographic diversity of our 529 account holders. And why do we think that's so important? Far beyond 529, we know that historically and currently in this country that certain individuals, in particular those that come from uh, families that earn a lot, and those that uh, tend to be white families go to college at much higher rates than those that are from minority backgrounds or those that have less money. And we also know that in the current economy, 
some form of higher education, be it a two-year or four-year or technical or trade school, is a requirement uh, for an entree to a job that is a good paying job that provides you some stability over time. And we want all families, no matter your income, no matter your race, uh, no matter your ethnicity, no matter where you live, to be able to go to college. And I should say, this is particularly important for the treasurer himself. Treasurer Ferrix was the first in his family to go to college. His parents did not graduate from high school. His grandparents didn't go past junior high school. And so this, and he, I should say, is from a small farming community in downstate Illinois of about 800 people. So he himself has, has lived the story of the power of a college education and also has lived the story and, and, and you know, true knowledge of knowing what it's like to come from a family where you are the first to go to college and then the transformative power of that. As a result, under Treasurer Ferrix, it is a major goal of ours to increase the number of families investing and saving for college. As you say, Nikki, in particular, in minority communities. A few of the things we've done just this past year, we implemented a whole suite of uh, Spanish language resources. We know that uh, currently in Illinois, about 25% of uh, our young children uh, come from Latino background, many of them from multilingual households or Spanish-speaking households. So BrightStart is now fully available in Spanish. All materials are available in Spanish. You can call our phone number and Spanish language reps are available to you. We also started a big uh, bilingual a Hispanic marketing campaign to reach uh, our Hispanic families. And in general, when you look at our outreach, our marketing, et cetera, we're trying to reach everyone in the state and are kind of redoubling our efforts in those areas where historically you've seen lower, lower numbers of families saving than in other areas. And I may add, as a result of these efforts, we've seen in some cases increase, uh, almost doubling of the number of uh, families saving for college in these underrepresented communities. And so we're, we're, you know, ultimately we wanna make sure that the program is serving all Illinoisans. And so these efforts are, are really uh, tailored to look and feel like they are for all Illinoisans and all families across the state. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to kind of wrap this discussion up and, and put a bow on it, um, and I'll open this up to both of you, Fernando and John, what is one thing, if there is one thing you would want our listeners to take away about Bright Start and Bright Directions, what would it be? Appreciate the time today to share how uh, important saving for college is and how wonderful of an opportunity it is to invest through Bright Start and Bright Directions. What I will add, Jake, is that Treasure First has worked extremely hard over the last few years to really improve the savings programs, the college savings programs for Illinois residents. We mentioned that since 2015, we, we've improved the investment selection, we've reduced fees, we've uh, helped hundreds of thousands more families save through Bright Start and Bright Directions. We recently surpassed the nine, nine milestone when Treasure Forex came into office in 2015, our current assets were around 7 billion. And uh, at the close of December, 2020, uh, we surpassed the $15 billion mark in assets. So more than doubled the monies that are in, in, uh, in our savings program, but also more than doubled um, the number of families that are, are utilizing Bright Start or Bright Directions. Bright Start has garnered high marks from Morningstar, earning gold for four years straight. And time and time again, we, we hear how powerful it is to save for college, to sit with one's kids, and let them know that we are investing in their future. 
the thing I would highlight is is to say that we care deeply about making these programs as good as we possibly can. And we encourage your listeners, if they're currently savers, we encourage them to reach out to us at any time, be it directly to Brightstart or to the treasurer's office. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can improve. If you're not currently saving, uh, we absolutely encourage you to begin and encourage you to, well, to reach out to us with any questions that you might have. We do presentations throughout the state virtually uh, now in the midst of COVID-19, but uh, we try hard to reach schools, to reach families, parents, et cetera, et cetera. And we are more than happy to take any questions that you might have. If you are a member of a community group, a school, a PTA, uh, et cetera, please do uh, reach out to us and let us know if you're interested in saying, hey, you know, I'd like some of my friends, some of my community members, some of my colleagues to uh, learn some of the messages that we've been sharing on this podcast. We're happy and always welcome uh, those invitations as well. So now that we've talked about these programs, can you tell our listeners how they can sign up for a Bright Start account? Where should they go? Absolutely. 24 hours a day, you can go to brightstart.com or brightdirections.com. As I mentioned, Bright Start is also available in Spanish. You can also call uh, at 877-432-7444 between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. And you can follow us on social media. Bright Start uh, has a quite active uh, Facebook and Twitter account that doesn't just provide information about Bright Start, but all types of tax tips uh, when it comes to saving for college, all types of links to different material around, uh, you know, different news sources, different um, industry analysts discussing, hey, what are the big trends in 529? What's happening with college prices? What's happening when it comes to tips about how to best save, et cetera? And so there's a lot of great information that parents and potential savers or current savers can pick up from the Bright Start Facebook and Twitter pages. And we encourage you uh, to follow us there. That's great. And we'll make sure to list um, in the show notes so listeners can go to the description of the show and they'll see your website and we'll we'll list all, all those resources. So thank you guys both so much for joining us today. Um, it was nice for me to get to hang out with some old co-workers of mine. Thank you, Nikki, so much. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Jake. It's been a lot of fun and just, you know, very much appreciate what you are trying to do here to help educate the people of Illinois. And thank you very much for having us on to play our very small part in, in trying to do that. Yes. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, Nikki. Really enjoyed our time today. And, and thanks again for allowing us to share more information on Bright Start. Yeah. Thank you guys so much, both of you, Fernando and John. Um, this was a great episode. And we hope this episode encourages people who may never heard of this college saving program to look into it and start saving for college. Next time we'll have on Courtney Eccles, another colleague of Fernando and John's at the treasurer's office, who will talk about the retirement crisis in America and the secure choice program. So don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and talk to you next time.